leading Britain's conversation. This is LBC with Steve Allen. Text 84850. Tweet at LBC. Good morning. I'm Steve Allen. Coming up here on LBC, you can hear some of my best bits of my early breakfast show this week. I'm here every weekday from 4 till 6.30 and on Sunday from 5 till 7. And here's some of what caught my attention this week. The Speaker has now jumped in on the bandwagon. Uh, Mr Burko uh, bids to ban MPs from naming the celebrity love cheat in the Commons. Uh, the Scots, who it is, know who the celebrity love cheat is. The Americans know who the love cheat is. I think very shortly the Northern Irish will get to hear who it is as well. Uh, but unfortunately, you can't hear about it uh, because they don't want you to know. I'd love to know, though. There's a couple of things that I want to know about that, that case. As I've said yesterday and the day before and ever since this one surfaced, and the moment I heard about it, I wasn't A, surprised, uh, and B, I wasn't remotely bothered by it. I just can't understand why somebody would go to such expense... And it is a serious expense. We worked out this could be seriously hundreds of thousands of pounds to stop their names being being made public. I mean, if an MP does say it within the House of Commons, I th- are you sure that we can say it then? If it's said within the House of Commons, doesn't that come under parliamentary, parliamentary privilege? I thought it was. Whatever it is, though, is anybody going to risk it? Is anybody going to risk it? I mean, I don't know. I don't know what the ultimate thing would be. I mean, we, we've had this before, haven't we? Where people have named people who thought, oh, God, there's going to be trouble here now. And then it turns out to be, uh, to be sort of nothing. It turns out to be nothing. And I wonder, really, if this person is named in the House of Commons. And all the, all the MPs, there'll be lots of booing, won't there? Lots of booing and some cheering, I suppose. And then, and the rest of the country go, oh, right, so now, because we know who it is, does it make any difference? The answer is not going to change your life. I mean, Ryan Giggs was named by an MP, and there's quite a few other people. I think this was a, a Lib Dem MP uh, called John Hemming, and uh, he named the Man United Star during an urgent Commons question on privacy orders, and uh, using parliamentary privilege uh, to break... The court order, he said it would not be practical to imprison the 75,000 Twitter users who had named the player. The High Court has again ruled that the injunction should not be lifted. And, uh, and so it went on. I mean, it was, it was just ridiculous, isn't it? This was, it was then lifted after that. And I suspect this one will be as well. And, we'll, and for those of you who don't know, you'll be, you'll be going, oh dear, you know, like it was something important. And it's not really important. I don't think it's anything to do with me or you who, you know, if people choose to get married, then that's their business. And if they then choose to have an arrangement within the marriage, that's fine. I couldn't care less. I seriously couldn't care. There's nothing to do with me. Don't expect people to sort of, you know, I mean, why would you take an injunction out in the first place? It's in the paper today about a former Royal Navy captain whose shameful bullying of junior officers saw him thrown off his ship. David Axon then sued the Ministry of Defence, claiming his human rights had been breached after information about his appalling behaviour was leaked. Colleagues had queued up to complain about him and top brass feared the ship would be ineffective in battle. He was forced to leave HMS Somerset after an internal investigation concluded his position was untenable. But when his disgrace was reported in a newspaper, Axon sued his former employers for breach of confidence and misuse of private information. Yesterday, a High Court judge threw his case out, ruling the story was in the public interest, leaving him with estimated legal costs of up to half a million pounds. A spokesman for The Sun said the judge found this claimant did not have any reasonable expectation of privacy in what The Sun published. The judge also observed that publication was in the public interest. We will now be seeking our legal costs. Wow. 
Documents submitted to the courts by the Sun revealed Jordan Barber was paid £5,000 for the story, part of £100,000 she received from the paper between 2004 and 2012. He, Axon, then went to the court saying, uh, I accepted I bullied my officers. It was humiliating and embarrassing to realise I'd let my officers down. So now he's been landed with a bill of about um, about £500,000. So maybe it'll teach people that uh, start going against the courts and start thinking you know better. Sometimes not. So I should imagine they'll have to sell the house and just do everything else. Steve Allen on LBC. As Charles, Prince Charles, stages a festival to celebrate his beloved garden, do you see him getting down on his hands and knees, you know, watering and weeding? No, I don't think so. Uh, There's a poignant secret. They reckon the ghost of Diana still haunts Highgrove. I think the ghost of Diana haunts Prince Charles, I should imagine. (laughs) Probably think, I never should have married that woman, you know. Got two boys, though, lovely boys, lovely boys. Harry's a bit off the rails, you know, a little bit, you know, plays the field. I don't see Harry ever getting... Can you ever see Harry getting married? I just can't see it. I think he's going to be confirmed bachelor. You know, William will sort of trot around doing whatever William does. But most people think the, the royal family, will, as we know it, will sort of collapse with the death of the Queen. And uh, it'll start being seen as a different thing. You know, and Harry can go off and have relations with who he wants to. Because he's getting a bit old to be behaving like a 19-year-old, isn't he? Harry goes and props up bar yet again. So the kingdom of eccentricities for Prince Charles. Um, the chickens have actually got their own police guards. At Highgrove. I know. I know. Listen, I, seriously, I don't make these things up. And apparently in the early years of the garden, the free-range chickens roamed near the house. There was an officer known as Sergeant of the Coop who kept an eye on them. Uh, today there are a hundred hens whose much-prized eggs are sold locally. Uh, the sanctuary is out of bounds to all but invited guests. It's a little chapel built to mark the millennium where Charles likes to pray. I know. I know. Uh, there's also paying guests. Uh, they reckon 40,000 from April to mid-October will have paid in a total of £650,000. British Charles gives it all to charity. Uh, he bought Highgrove in 1980. And so he's got this self-sufficient organic garden. But remember, he, he, he does talk to plants. Yeah, pretty little plant, aren't you? Come on, go for, go for Uncle Charles. You know, and he, he he does talk, I mean, mad as a broomstick, probably. But then, of course, if you're heir to the throne, you can do whatever you like, can't you? They've never had to worry about bills. They've never had to actually do a day's work. If you call shaking hands and having a curry a day's work, well, then they're doing a day's work. But the rest of the time, Diana probably didn't like it there. I think she hated the idea of servants everywhere. She was, she, you know, and you can't do anything. You know, Charles, we are led to believe, as he walks in to go and have a shower, he just drops his clothes on the floor and there's a man who follows on behind, picking up all his bits and pieces. I mean, you do have, I think there is the, is it, what do they call it, somebody of the bedchamber who will run his, but you don't think Prince Charles ever turned a tap on, do you? They don't turn taps on. He's never known the delights of pushing a trolley through Lidl. He's never known the delights of, of going to sort of waitress and going, have you got any of those cooked chickens that I can smell outside? He's never done that. Even though Waitrose bought his uh, his Dutchy originals. And the peanut butter's quite good. The rest of it, I think you're just buying into, you know, people going, oh, you buy Dutchy originals. You go, yep, more money than cents. Yep, absolutely. Uh, Sarah Ferguson, as I said over the weekend, dropped herself in it from a great height, proving that she's mad as a fruitcake. And she now admits that she watches her wedding time and time again. I suppose reflecting on just how dull your life is, really. But uh, anyway, it's nice to know that uh, she was still... You know, one of those people embroiled in the offshore scandal. 
because Sarah... I thought she was broke. I didn't think she'd actually done anything that warranted any money at all. But she's uh, she had some offshore dealings, but they don't deal with it. Most of the people, actually, I think once they got wind of what was going on, they got rid of the things as quick as possible. A lot safer, isn't it? Because the majority of the country don't seem to like, as Katie Hopkins po- uh, pointed out yesterday, rich people who seem to think that if somebody's offshore, they're rich. No, it's because they put stuff offshore that they can end up being rich and sort of saving for their old age. But most people would do it. Most people would do it if you were given the opportunity of actually saving a load on your tax. If somebody came to you and said, I can save you a load of your tax, I can save you another 50%, you'd be going for it big time. Of course you would. That's what Katie Hopkins said. This is LBC with Steve Allen. Uh, Boris, and all that tax. Million quid in four years? Whoa! What's that £250,000 a year? What is his income, for God's sake? His income must be something like... So, Simfuls are 28... He must be looking at around about four, about £600,000. Well, where does that come from? Does that come from being mayor? He gets a quarter of a million a year for writing for the... Te- Bloody hell. <laughs> does he really? Quarter of a million for writing for the Telegraph. Good God. Blimey. I think I'm more in some of the other people's league. I don't think, I'm, don't think I've ever paid a million pound tax. Mind you, probably over the, over the career, probably not far off it at all, I would think. But I'm, I'm always very good with my tax. I think we're really on the button with mine. Absolutely on the button. I've looked at what the uh, what they're all filing through for their money, and I've looked at the tax that they're they're paying. So if, if Boris is so blooming rich, why is he cycling? Doesn't he have a chauffeur-driven car, or is he to hide that round the corner? It's all very interesting, isn't it? A quarter of a million pound, and the Telegraph pay him a quarter. Blimey, there's more money in journalism than I thought. Small wonder that you get sort of people who've been doing it for years and years and years and years. Leading Britain's conversation, LBC with Steve Allen. So a lot of people telling me how much they earn, which is very interesting. But I'm, I'm, and it goes in one ear, I promise you, and comes out the other. Because I've said a million times before, I don't really, don't really care, actually. Martin says, I've just completed a 12-hour night shift. I've been paid £400 minus 40% tax and 2% national insurance. Right. Oh, you're paying 40% tax, are you, on that? Why would you do that? Don't you have a good accountant? Heavens above, you don't pay 40% on all of it, do you? Blimey, I thought you'd have found a really good accountant by now. And uh, my hourly rate, Sue, is £19.50 uh, for a 37 and a half hour week. And I earned 68000 last year, so you can imagine the hours I put in. Yes, I can well imagine. I'm a skilled worker, but still only really a factory employee. Right. <laughs> uh, and then Stuart says the rich are making a mockery out of, out of uh, the people. Well, what do you call rich? You see, I'm intrigued by what, what people's idea of rich is nowadays. Is, is rich earning, as uh, Sue says, £68,000? When you consider the average is, what, 26500 in this country. That's the average salary. I think if you're earning £68,000, you've got to be classed as rich. You must be. I mean, especially if there's two of you. And, you know, I should imagine between the two of you, you must be bringing in more than £100,000 a year. Would that make you rich? I don't know what the definition of rich is. If I won, you know, 20 million on the lottery, does that make me rich? In terms of people like Andrew Lloyd Webber and Sir Cameron McIntosh and Paul McCartney, I'm a pauper, an absolute pauper. Or any of the people in, in Russia, even in terms of Boris Johnson, I should imagine I'm going to be pretty much a pauper. So what, what's rich? I don't know what rich is. Apparently, George Osborne received a significant payout from his family's firm, despite it paying no corporation tax for seven years. He had a taxable income of £198,738. That was including 44500 in the form of dividends from Osborne & Little, which is the wallpaper firm co-founded by his father, Sir 
Father. Father. Sorry, his father. Sir Peter Osborne. That's a Freudian slip, if ever there was one. So the company made 722,000 profit on sales of 34 million. Really? Doesn't seem very good business, does it, really? Uh, but they didn't, uh, they didn't pay corporation tax because the company had rolled over losses from the previous years and deferred tax payments. Um, he's the chancellor. I mean, you expect him to know about these sort of things, don't you? So, in other words, you know, the company only made £722,000 profit, but in fact, he got 40000 of it and, and because they had sales of £34 million. Oh, please. I don't want to be a cynic here, but I have to be slightly cynical. It doesn't seem very much profit on sales of £34 million. It's because it's all been rolled over. And then Corbyn filed late, and so he got a £100 fine. Uh, Boris Johnson had a taxable income over four years. That was 1,985,000, which left him with 916,481 pound bill. So he paid a million pounds over four years. It's not bad. But apparently the prime minister who inherited 300,000 from his father and received gifts worth 200,000 from his mother said it was a natural human instinct for parents to want to pass assets on to their children. Absolutely. My parents passed on their assets to me and my brother. Except, admittedly, not as much as that, but, uh, you know, we didn't do badly. I'm not complaining about it. In fact, I, I never asked for things like that. But now they're actually saying that uh, they're going to see exactly who owns and controls every company in the Cayman Islands, the British Virgin Islands, Bermuda, the Isle of Man, Jersey, everything. Everything. But at the moment, everything has been done above board. Whether you like it or not is now they, you know, they couldn't give a stuff whether you like it. Nobody cares. Nobody cares. It doesn't matter. That's his business. His father left him money after he died and his mother gifted him money. It's legal to gift money. You can do it. I think you can gift up to so many thousand pounds a year. So you can do it to all of your children. Leave it to the goldfish if you want. Might have difficulty uh, proving it, but, you know, <laughs> just to wait and see what was happening. You're listening to the best of Steve Allen. I'll have loads more from my early breakfast shows this week after this. This is LBC with Steve Allen. Good morning. I'm Steve Allen. Here's another one of the best bits from my early breakfast show this week. Now, Phil Vickery, where has he been? Where has he been? Oh, I know exactly where he's been. I know he's been to Carlisle. Now, why would you go to Carlisle? The reason he went to Carlisle and he sent me a picture, which is very nice, and I, I recognise it. Uh, he says to launch the ginger nut biscuit line for McVitie's. Now, of course, I used to work for United Biscuits, so I remember all the biscuits they used to make. My favourites out of all of them were, um, what are those orange things? The sponge with the orange and the chocolate. Jaffa cakes and Jaffa cakes. And they used to have somebody sitting by the line with a spike, a bit like my four o'clock spike, and dipping it in if, if they were a little bit off, off centre. They had to be perfect. And wafers. I love wafers. I loved wafers. I could get quite excited about uh, wavers. The Carlisle factory, if memory serves me, Phil, got badly flooded over Christmas and they had to, st I think, did they not have to stop production of everything because they, they were so flooded out? But anyway, then he did a live OB for this morning. He said, what fun. Yes, I mean, w th there is a certain smell that goes along with biscuit factories and United Biscuits, because I used to go to the one in Tolcross, the one in Liverpool. I went to Harleston a few times. Uh, Osterley. Where was the other one? Manchester. Man I used to stay in Manchester. My God, they were a bunch of alcoholics up there. You'd go out there and all the blokes would say, oh, because I used to work on the, on the radio for them in London. And you'd have to go up there. Scotland was the place I tried to avoid. I tried to avoid Scotland because the women in the laundry at eight o'clock in the morning would be swigging whiskey. I mean, I said, you'll have a wee dram. 
and they'd pour in a generous slug. You'd wander around the factory in a state of inebriation. The idea was you were supposed to go around the factory and chat to people. But if truth be known, I couldn't understand what anybody was saying. So I used to go and hide in the toilet. I'd go and see the women in the laundry. And then I'd go and see the women in Liverpool, Peggy, Tess, and there was somebody else. And uh, loved it. And uh, the Harleston factory, I just went round and had a look. And the Osterley factory, we saw the people all the time. And that's how I got to know about uh, Indian music from films. Because there was a lot of Asian girls uh, from Southall who worked in the Osterley factory. And they would knock on the door of the studio and go, Steve, can you play a record for us? And they would produce their own records. So I was constantly getting Indian records to play. So I became quite a little expert on uh, on the Indian film industry and the people who sing the songs which turned out to be the people who sing the songs for everybody and everybody else just minds. Uh, it just reopened after the factory was flooded in December, says Phil. Yes. I'll tell you what, there was, there was another place I went to, and it's only because there's an association with, with O'Brien, who I think must be back today. Is he back today? They've finally taken the tag off, have they? God, I thought he'd never get it off. I said to him, when he showed it to me, I laughed, as you do. And, uh, and he comes from Kidderminster. Well, somebody's got to. And I said that I'd been to Kidderminster, Because years and years ago, when I worked in a department store, I sold carpets. And to get you to sell certain carpets, they would send you on courses. And so I went to Brinton's of Kidderminster, which is a a family firm. And they used to make... And I I can remember the smell vividly. I mean, absolutely vividly. The smell of a carpet factory, the dye and everything else. And they would make... Apart from all their normal tumble twists and stuff like that, they would also do carpets to order. I used to love that as well. But it was the United's Biscuits factory that... um, that came out with all the cakes and the biscuits and everything else. And uh, if I told you, you know, that they used to produce biscuits for all different companies in different packaging, different packaging. But whenever Marks and Spencers came round to have a check, the factory was literally scrubbed within an inch of its life because Marks and Spencers were looking, you know, to the very, very best quality. But it was it was quite nice. The smell of chocolate first thing in the morning. It's like working for a brewery, I suppose. Well, it's not quite like working for a brewery. But you could have become absolutely enormous. Uh, the bookies have tipped the voice winner, Kevin, to be a number one smash hit. Why? Why? He doesn't look like a star. What are they going to do with him? We're still waiting for Harry Styles to do something. But I suspect that Harry Styles' career has come to a grinding halt. A bit like little Liam Payne. Unless he's going to release a record with our Cheryl which I think is unlikely. And uh, who else is doing something? Well, Zayn Malik is about the only one who's done something. Whether or not he goes for a second album, I don't know. But the rest of them don't seem to be doing anything at all. If they are, they've left it an awful long time. Uh, the paper's also talking today, just very quickly, uh, the church leaders who rallied to support the Archbishop of Canterbury when he discovered the identity of his real father because his mother, in a drunken one-night stand decided to tell him all those years later, and now they're going, oh, he's, you know, he's, he's got great grace in finding who his real father was. Really? Thought his mother would have mentioned it, wouldn't you? By the way, I had a one-night stand when I was drunk. So the rest of us are holding our hands up and going, well, there you go, nobody's perfect. But now they've sort of tried to twist it round and go, you know, he was praised for his dignity and grace, as opposed to rounding on his mother going, you drunken old back, what did you think you were doing? Which is what most other people would be doing. Oh, look at that, you can get a psychic cruise. How exciting. A psychic cruise, ladies and gentlemen. And uh, with somebody called Gordon Smith. I don't really get a big bundle on on psychics. I'm not really sort of a, I'm not really a psychic sort of person. I always think I can probably do just as well. Uh, Steve. I just wanted to say, if you had a three-hour show on Saturday and Sundays, you would have time for your in-conversation. Uh, oh, Lord, I don't... Uh, I don't... Oh, blimey, I don't think I'd do a three-hour show on the Sunday. I mean, I mean, how many days do you think I'm working here, for goodness sake? 
grinding myself into the ground at the moment. Ridiculous. Uh, Phil, back to uh, to TM today, cooking with my friend Ken Hom. All right. I used to love it when Ken Hom used to come in, Phil, because um, whenever Ken used to come in to do cooking, and he would cook for me, uh, as it, we, we used to have a programme, and when, Con- when Ken came in, he used to have an assistant who'd arrive in two hours before him and cut all the vegetables up and everything else, and he would just present it. <laughs> I always remember that about Ken Hom. did a very good series where he went and did... Um, Abroad, he was going to different places, and I think with this girl, and it was a Ken Hom series looking at all the things. I still can't take to anybody who eats duck's feet or things like that or chicken's feet. I really can't. Seriously, it makes me feel quite queasy. I saw it in, uh, in uh, that's right, Exploring China, uh, a culinary uh, adventure with uh, Ching Hei Huang who was a Chinese food specialist. And uh, then they went through, they learnt about Peking duck, they went on the Silk Road, uh, Kashgar, Sichuan province. Uh, It was very interesting, very, very interesting. I quite liked it. In English, but I loved it. They've they've got a woman reporter on the BBC, one of those rare people that you see every so often, who obviously works out in Hong Kong. And she speaks fluent Cantonese. Slight Sichuan accent. But she, uh, she speaks that. And so whenever she says to something, you see her sort of doing this thing, and then she does it in English as well. To think, it's just showing off, but I'm terribly impressed. It's one of those sort of showing off bits I, I quite like. Apparently, they lost 380 million biscuits. In that, uh, in that f- 380 million biscuits. That's a lot of slush. That is a lot of slush. The best ones were in Manchester, I think. Man- Liverpool. And they used to make uh, the wafers... But big sheets of wafer, like six foot across, and then the machine would coat it with this sort of paste or whatever it was. Then another sheet went on, and it was all. And then they put it in the machine, went chopped it all up, and then it went onto the line and went on the roller coaster. A bit like chickens in a factory. Steve Allen on LBC. What about the one with the little dog who wouldn't leave his master's grave? Oh, that was called. It's a Scottish film, and. Um... It was given. There was a bit of journalistic license with that film, actually. I'm pretty certain. Pretty certain. Um, oh, what was it called? The dog who wouldn't. Yeah. After the bloke died, and uh, this. Oh, what was it called? Now there was a name for this dog. We Scottish. Greyfriars Bobby. That's it. Greyfriars Bobby. That was it. Oh, hi, Bobby. How are you? You know. <laughs> nice, sweet little Scottish film in between, sort of, you know picking themselves up from the pavement. Greyfriars Bobby, there is um, a statue of him. He was a Sky Terrier. He died in 1872, uh, aged 16. I mean, the story goes on that he spent 14 years guarding the grave of his owner until he himself died on the 14th of January. Uh, The best-known version of the story is that Bobby belonged to John Gray, who worked for the Edinburgh City Police. And uh, his little dog used to sit on the grave. Said to have sat there for 14 years. I mean, I think he had to go and have a wee occasionally. But, uh, but that's what it is. And they've actually got uh, Greyfriars Kirkland. Uh, it's interesting. I mean, the accuracy has been challenged quite a few occasions. I, you know, they say it's the most famous dog in Scotland. But I think a lot of people were saying it's not actually true. You know, it's, it's a nice little story. And we like little stories. I don't want to sort of shatter anybody's dream. But... Um, Lots of people claim to have known the dog personally, but with opposing views over the accuracy of the uh, of the stories. I mean, I don't believe a dog sits on a grave. It was a very famous magician, Lafayette, and he was he was buried with his dog. He was buried with his dog. His dog Beauty uh, died, but he was um, 
He was a very eccentric magician. He said, the more I see of man, the more I love my dog. He used to have a sign on the outside of his house. He said, if you come in here, you must respect my house and you must respect my dog. And so they did. But whether or not the Greyfriars Bobby was actually true, I do not know. <laughs> I think we take it all with a, with a pinch of salt, don't we? Pinch of salt. Leading Britain's conversation. LBC with Steve Allen. You know what's vanishing? Laundrettes. Do you know what they're turning into? I don't believe this. I mean, I couldn't. I thought they'd just turn into a into another shop because years ago, I think the eighties uh, was about the best time uh, when there used to be, I think, about twelve and a half thousand laundrettes in the country. Which actually, I thought would be more than that. But anyway, twelve and a half thousand. Uh, we used to have a couple in Twickenham. I never used them. Did I ever use them? No, I didn't use them. One of them turned into a. I can remember it now, actually, and it seems really odd. It was called Video Cube, and you would join. And I can't remember how you joined. Perhaps you went in there and filled in the form. Anyway, you could use this 24 hours a day and you would go there, swipe your card and they would have videos in sort of like um, vending machines. And so you'd go in there and you'd select the one you wanted and you could take out the video and then you would put it back the next day. It was quite a good idea, actually. But anyway, uh, the laundrettes are vanishing, turning into what? Homes. Apparently, apparently, the... um, residential property laws are quite lax about laundrettes. So a lot of people are closing them down and turning them into homes. It's like office blocks. Wherever you are, they're turning office blocks into flats. You cannot move for office blocks. We've got more office blocks. I mean, above Barclays Bank in Twickenham, they're uh, putting in uh, flats. No parking, just flats, because people, people can commute from Twickenham. Because where you are there, you've literally got a bus stop around the corner, which will take you to Richmond. Or you can walk over the road and go to the station and go to Richmond, to Waterloo. You can go just about anywhere, Reading. It's very easy, very commutable. And if you've got a car, where are you going to park it? God alone knows. But you can then sort of go down the motorway and you've got access to just about everywhere. M3, M4, M27. They're all there. And from the M4, then you take it onto Wales and you just keep going. So what they're doing now in every area, every available bit of space, if they can't rent out offices, because people work from home now, now you've got computers, you don't need to sit in an office. A friend of mine had a, had a company years ago and he licensed music. And he did have an office built in his garden. It was like one of those wooden chalets. It was really lovely. And uh, he sold the company a, f- a few years ago. But he literally could take his company around the world on a memory stick. He just had to download all his tracks onto this memory stick and then when he went abroad, he just plugged it into the computer and he could operate the company from wherever he happened to be. Sit on a beach in Cannes if he so desired. So you don't need to have offices now. And that's why all these people who've got offices are now going, oh, what should we turn this into? Flats. And if you come out of Waterloo Station here in London and you're heading back out to uh, Twickenham, which I will be uh, later on this morning in a, in a short while, uh, on the right hand side overlooking the Thames, there's more flats you can shake a stick at around Batasi. That's very popular, very popular. They've got sort of all these guards. They're huge blocks of flats going up because people obviously want to live in a flat in London overlooking the Thames. That's obviously very desirable. And the prices are astronomical, but every old office block is being turned into flats. They're far more useful as flats than office blocks. And we've got a big place in Twickenham called Regal House. Half of it's a Premier Inn, and then there's some serviced offices. There's a gym and a few other things there. It wouldn't surprise me if in a few years' time it was turned into flats. Because that's what people seem to crave nowadays. Irrespective of the fact that there's so many cars on the road, it's an absolute nightmare. So if you're one of these people who can't afford a washing machine, well, poo you. Because they don't care about you anymore. It's, it's obviously not beneficial. 
to have uh, to have a washing machine because it, you can go out and buy one for a couple of hundred quid. In fact, I be- do believe you could even rent washing machines. So you can go out there and for three ninety seven a week, they will, you know, if it breaks down, you just call them out and they come and change it, change it for another one. So uh, latest figures show there's only about three thousand of these laundrettes in the country. But you always remember that was you're probably not old enough to remember, but Nick Kamen uh, stripped off for a Levi's advert. And the song, when I wake up in the morning light, I put on my jeans and I... But he's he stripped off in the, in the laundrette uh, down to his boxer shorts. And uh, that became a very famous advert, presumably for laundrettes and presumably for, uh, for Levi's and for, for Nick Kamen, who ended up with a career out of it. Where he is now, I have no idea. No idea. Uh, Britain's got recycled talent. We certainly don't have any more talent, do we? Britain's got talent and the voice. Second chance to old act. So Kevin Sim... Uh, won the voice, but I mean, is the career for him? No. I mean, what, why would I mean? He's 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 been out of the group. Does this put him in the front line again? Does this mean that they're then going to uh, say, well, let's give him a chance for getting into the charts, or is he going to get a job singing on stage musicals? I was slightly disturbed to discover that uh, one of the boys, Anthony Costa, uh, is going into a new musical. Anthony Costa's last appearance was when he urinated over a, a cash point just over the road from here. Just over the road. He was drunk. Unfortunately, he was caught on uh, on camera. So couldn't wheedle his way out of that one. You get that one? Wheedle his way out of that one. Uh, so uh, Liberty X were runners-up in Pop Stars. They had eight top ten singles. And then they split. After Saturday's final, uh, Mr Sim said, I'm very grateful for the time I had with the band, but I've always wanted to sing on my own. Well, it's very lonely out there. Very, very lonely. Uh, Britain's Got Talent also had complaints about the lack of fresh acts, uh, including Lucy Heath who also presented a dancing dog act in last year's series and won another ITV talent show, The Dog Can Dance, in 2014. One viewer wrote, I'm pretty certain I've seen all this before. You have. You have. In the case of The Sword Swallower, you've seen it many, many times before. Five, to be precise. But uh, can't they find anything else? No. There's nothing else out there. So they've got to go to circuses. So it's got nothing at all about... So when the, this, uh, this couple of brothers go, we come from Birmingham, I don't believe a word of it. I really don't. I thought, as I say, the Ukraine, perhaps. But uh, let's just say you're living in Birmingham. Not exactly the hub of uh, British circus life, is it? Birmingham, I don't think. Uh, 84850, steve uh, I remember buying Nick Kamen's single, says Tracy and Slough, uh, which is good. In Mayfair, Mayfair, says Tony, flats are called apartments. Um, I would have thought twice... Uh, Ham would be the same. I live in Selhurst, so I live in a flat. Oh, yes, you'd be in a flat. In, in Mayfair, it'd be apartments. And also, if you notice, it's always luxury. They never go, we're really putting up some shoddy flats. They never say that. They go, luxury apartments. They're called apartments around our way because we're, we're all terribly posh. Uh, Gordon says, just looked up Sam Kidd. He apparently made over 200 films and countless TV appearances. I would think he would have to be the man who turned up in just about everything. Have you seen Tommy Steele's film, Where's Jack? No, I liked I liked um, I liked quite a lot of Tommy Steele's films. You know, I interviewed him. I thought that was a bit exciting, actually, to interview Tommy Steele, a legend. Anyway, with the so-called buy to uh, buy to let market, nobody lives in luxury apartments. Foreign investors buy them up and don't live there. I know. You can see next to the. In fact, you can see apartments. They think, oh, they're all sold, and you think, but nobody's living there. People are buying them as investments. People go along and go, I'll buy ten apartments here, and they'll sit there empty. Which, to be honest with you, I'd rather they sat there empty than have people who don't know how to put curtains up in them. You know, I'm a little bit funny about people hanging up blankets in the window and stuff like that. Peasants, I call them. Peasants. You know, I want to see people who know how to hang. You know, they, they should do it. Above Lloyd's Bank, 
There's some right peasants living there because, uh, you know, they actually put in blinds. In every flat, there's a blind which you pull down in all their windows. And some people have taken them down and put up curtains. Horrible. Horrible. Looks ghastly. Oh, dear me. Peasant people. Peasant people who don't know. Oh, let's, let's not go with these quality blinds which make it look really lovely. Let's put up curtains. What for? For? What do you want to put curtains up for? And there's and a load of drunks living there. God, you want to see the empty uh, cans that they seem to throw out on a daily basis. Students, you're not there like good-for-nothings. Good-for-nothings. Steve Allen on LBC. Oh, the good news is, as we predicted on the programme, the 12-year-old average girl singing the song from Wicked. And I said average because you go to any stage school, you'll find a million. And surprise, surprise, she's from a stage school. You know, didn't just sort of wander in from the garden. Her mother went, oh, my God, you can sing. They blatantly, blatantly lied to you. She's she's being trained to sing. That's what she goes to school at one of those sort of, you know, stage school things. And she has been for five years. And she's still not brilliant. She's OK, but she's learning to be terribly posh. It's time to be defying gravity. You know, and so she went on and went, oh, isn't that marvellous? Like she sort of wandered in from her bedroom, one minute playing with sort of Cindy dolls and Barbie, and the next minute she sings like that. Oh, she goes to stage school. So she's a, she's a professional little girl. Very professional. And all of a sudden they go, can you sing something from Wicked? I feel oh, no, defying gravity. Well, it's amazing. It's put you on television. No, she had a stage school mum. You could see that from the moment mum appeared looking... Uh, as groomed as you can just about get. So for five years, this kid's been in a stage school. But they didn't tell you that. They decided to omit that bit of it. So you just think she sings naturally. No, she's been trained like that. What was even worse is, you know, a woman who I thought would have known better. And that would have been the little Lorraine. Oh, you're gorgeous. You're marvellous. You're run. I don't know what I'm talking about. I'm going to eat here. Oh, we're going to cook something. Oh, I couldn't eat there. Oh, I don't know. And so anyway, I was doing... Because she's suddenly realised that nobody understands a word she's saying. She has to slow it down a bit. And so she gets this kid on with the mum, and she proceeds to sort of tell her like she's the biggest thing since God. Oh, you're just so marvellous. You're wonderful. You're good. You're going to be a huge star. And I'm thinking, why are you filling this 12-year-old's head with this garbage? Why don't you just tell her the truth? You're 12 years old, go back to school, all right? The rest of your classmates hate you. Oh, that's little Miss Showoff. There she is. I'm in a defying gravity. Shut up! You know? We're flying in the air. <laughs> Thank you. You know, and it's the kind of... You know, you don't fill these kids' heads with these mumbo-jumbo. She's 12 years old. She's 12. Let her have a childhood. Mind you, thank God she's not a Beckham, eh? Because by now they've enrolled her for sort of college. The only thing that worries me is that when the Beckham's four-year-old grows up, God help her if she grows up to be ugly. God help her, because I don't know what they're going to do. She's already been having nails and toes done at the age of four years old, which is slightly disturbing, as we uh, as we all agreed a short while ago. And, uh, and then you're going to get a 12-year-old, who's only going to go back to school with the biggest head ever, but she's a showbiz kid. She's in the business. She's part of she's part of that. You know, you can... I promise you, you could go to anyone, you know, from arts educational through to uh, Corona, any of these places, they will have kids that good, if not better. But their mummies have obviously said, listen, let's not put you through this just yet. You're only 12, let's not fill your head with nonsense. And unfortunately, this kid's mum is filling her head with nonsense. You know, so she's not going to like the headline on the front of the Daily Star, Britain's Got Talent, New Cheat Storm. And they say here, they kept it a secret that Bo Dermott had five years of singing lessons at a top art school. Five years. She's been singing since the age of, you know, do lallies. 
It's ridiculous, isn't it? Absolutely ridiculous. This is Steve Allen. You're listening to some of the highlights of my early breakfast shows this week. Steve Allen on LBC. What do they call her now? A sex worker. She's a prosy. She's a prosy. Let's not beat around the bush here. A sex worker. Grow up. She's a prosy. She's a hooker. She sells her body. She's a dominatrix. She walks all over him. That's what dominatrix do. You go and see a dominatrix because you want to be a, you know... You want a bit of that, don't you? You're not going to a dominatrix to do a blooming jigsaw of Andy Pandy and Winnie the Pooh. You're going to a dominatrix because they wear thigh-length boots and they look a little bit dominant. I always think slightly disturbing, isn't it, really? And so he he did break it off. Oh, God, I hope not. When he found out, that would be quite worrying, wouldn't it? No more dominatrixes. And so John Whittingdale admits to a relationship with a, with a hooker. He said in a statement he was unaware of the woman's occupation. Well, how many people do you know dress as a dominatrix? You must know a lot of very odd... Oh, look at the picture of him. The trouble is, we've seen people like this before, and generally they like to be... They like to dress up, you know, because it's part of the, part of the act. It's humiliation. Apparently, the relationship took, took place before the divorce father too, became a minister in May of last year. But it's the fact that you look at him and you go, ooh, dirty boy. I don't know why. It just makes you feel a little bit, a little bit grubby, doesn't it? He says, at no time did she give me any indication of her real occupation. Was she doing it for free then? I mean, if she's a hooker and she's a dominatrix, they charge. So he was made aware that somebody was trying to sell a story. Yes, I think the newspapers had it. But then... I'm sorry, I mean, a prostitute is somebody who sells their body. They sell sex to as many people as they can. So he gets a dominatrix, which is slightly specialised. You know, you get the, you get the all-purpose hooker, which is probably the have-it-away-day girls, who come down from Leeds and Manchester and places like that, and they wander around King's Cross. There are people who work in houses, there are people who have uh, clients, and then you get dominatrix. And dominatrix are specialists. They are people who dominate people. Generally, public schoolboys who like a bit of a spanking. I don't want to sound as though I'm too knowledgeable about this, just in case people write in and go, well, you seem fair. Because I'm a man of the world. I've been around. I, a friend of mine used to live in Soho above a prostitute. And she used to have a man coming round once a week who liked to dress up as a chicken. And he wanted to be put in a sack... And he wanted to be rolled around the room. But because she... I mean, fair enough, you know, to each his own. Me, double sausage and egg McMuffin. Him, dressed as chicken, rolling around the room. And my friend, who was a little bit stronger than the working girl, used to have to go down and push him around the room because she didn't have the strength to... He thought it was her, and that was his get-off point. So when you get somebody who looks sort of like a, you know, a little bit of a fat minister and... um, you know, and he's with a dominatrix. This is taking it to a different level. This is, he wants to be dominated. He likes strong women. But she was doing it for free? I've never heard of that for free. He must have known. He must have known. Apparently, a, a number of newspapers had investigated these uh, claims, uh, but decided not to run the story. I wonder why. I would have thought, you know, I mean, people are calling for tighter press regulation. He's now facing calls to withdraw from the regulation of the press following the disclosure. So they, they knew about it, but they didn't run with it. Four newspapers, The People, Mail on Sunday, The Sun and The Independent on Sunday, had investigated, but had concluded it was not a public interest story. So how is, uh, you know, an old man going with a dominatrix, not a public interest story, and yet a show business couple who have threesomes is apparently in the public interest? Anyway, uh, campaigners for tighter press accused the papers of hypocrisy. 
pointing out that as chairman of the Culture Committee, Mr Whittingdale had opposed statutory regulation. I mean, he's probably been doing it for ages. I mean, I wouldn't even know where you got a dominatrix from. Perhaps we need to go through the... Can we find it? Can we type it on, on Google and see if we can find a dominatrix? This will probably be one of those words that gets us into a lot of trouble with the management. And then we'll have to say, I'm sorry, we're investigating a story, but I mean... Oh, only Saturday night. What, on the sex programme? I've been quite horrified by some of the things I've heard on that. I just wonder, actually, whether or not if you typed in dominatrix, London dominatrix, what would... Good Lord. <laughs> There's pages. Look! They've got a directory, ladies and gentlemen. Goddess Sophia. Dominica de Sin. <laughs> Lady Seductress. Oh, no! Nanny Alice is here! Nanny Alice is on! She was my nanny. Miss Faye Summers. Dominatrix Hourglass. God in heaven. There's another world out here, lady. Mistress Maggie of Liverpool. Goddess Anastasia. Good God, it... Scottish mistresses, Welsh mistresses. Currently touring the UK. Dominatrix Annabella. Mistress Darcy. It was nanny I was worried about. I don't want to think that nanny's out there. And they've all got the same things. They've got... Is that Victoria Beckham? Oh, no, so that's Oriental Mistress Lily. It looks like Victoria Beckham. Hello, she had an outfit like that. Makes you wonder, doesn't it, really? <laughs> I only, I only, Mistress Eve, they're all a bit scary. There used to be one, actually, a very famous one in London, and her name was uh, Miss Whiplash. And she used to have a dungeon in Earl's Court. I'm sounding like I know too much about this, aren't I? I'm, I'm, even, I'm even disturbing myself. Lindy Sinclair was Miss Whiplash, and... She had a dungeon in the basement of her very ordinary little house in Earl's Court. And businessmen would check in for the night. She would chain them up to the walls of this, uh, of this dungeon and leave them there all night. And they would pay in the morning for the privilege. Her real name, of course, was Marion June Aiken. Grew up in Swindon. Doesn't really sound very interesting, does it? And I should imagine now she must look well past her sell-by date. Well past it. And she formed the Corrective Party which was sort of a radical British political party that campaigned for social justice, civil liberties, animal rights and sexual freedom. I think mainly sexual freedom. I think that was the thing that was going along with it. But uh, I think we know far too much about this, don't we? But it's just the fact that he found a dominatrix. And we've managed to find loads, but Nanny shouldn't be here. I don't like to think about that. I think, take away the nasty pictures. Nasty pictures. Steve Allen on LBC. We're trying to work out earlier on, only in my own mind, trying to work out why four papers who would normally print these sort of salacious stories, because if there's one thing we love in this country, it's, it's sort of famous person and hooker, because we don't get those stories very often. What we normally get is bimbo page three failure beds footballer, and that's what you normally get, or sort of really, really rich footballer with wife and, and children beds old hooker. You know, you get those sort of stories, and we like them. And the, uh, and the Sun at the moment are going big on the famous celebrity who's gagged them because of, you know, what might have, might not gone on. But a friend of mine read the article, because you can read this article in Scotland, you can read it in... thing And it involves olive oil. And that's not Popeye's olive oil, this is olive oil. And I thought... What a waste of olive oil. You know, as you do. I've never ever thought about, you know, a bath of olive oil. It's never crossed... All I can think of is, must have really gorgeous skin. Because I'm sure that olive oil is very... Anyway, I just sort of mentioned that. But then, strangely enough, one of the other papers, only a short while ago, you know, a Tory MP sent explicit text to a single mother saying, I'm desperate for sex with you during this alleged two-year 
affair. So what's the matter with that? I don't quite understand. So this is a man. She's, he's writing to a single mother. And he says, I'm desperate for sex with you. I mean, what are you supposed to do? I'm desperate to do a jigsaw with you and have a cup of coffee. Or I'm desperate to just hold your hand. I mean, he was obviously a bit desperate. He sent uh, naked pictures of himself. Um, he's 56. He's a father of five. He then issued a grovelling apology because he was exposed in, I mean, quite literally in more ways than one. And you think to yourself, but does that's, that's what he chooses to do. I mean, if I choose to go out of here and start talking to trees in Leicester Square, that's my business. But somebody might go, he's gone a bit mad. Because they thought Charles, Prince Charles, was a bit mad for talking to plants. So, consequently, they have to, they obviously weigh up in their minds. And I can't quite work out, I've got a sneaking feeling, why they would run some stories and not run other stories. But in, the, in this particular one, this, this man was splashed all over the paper. And so, anyway, his wife has now um, sort of had to move out of their constituency home in Essex. And he said he traumatised his family with bizarre and abhorrent behaviour. Well, it's got to be pretty bizarre if you put a nude picture of yourself up. Because the moment you take a nude picture of yourself with your telephone and you send it to somebody, it goes into the public domain. Everybody's got it. You can find it. You know, it can be on Snapchat. It can be on Google. You can find it anywhere. The amount of celebrities who take racy pictures, that's the best way I could describe it, of themselves. And then it goes public and it goes viral. And you start thinking, but, you know, surely um, a Tory with a dominatrix. I mean, not just a hooker, a dominatrix. I mean, that takes it to a new level. Steve Allen on LBC. Vinnie Jones still called football hard man. Really? Failed in everything, didn't he? Even his reality show was cancelled. Do you remember? They, they, they sort of thought, oh, Vinnie Jones will be interesting. And then they suddenly realised, at one point, he's sitting in his lounge... Because uh, that's all he does. He just sits there staring out the window. Don't believe all this codswallop you've read about him being a Hollywood main A-lister. He's no, not. He made a film with Sylvester Stallone, but I bet you could ask Sylvester Stallone. Sorry, do you remember Vinnie Jones? No, I don't remember. You know, you could imagine that. And so at one point in this reality show for Vinnie Jones, he says, um, should I go shopping? And they went, well, what would you do normally? They go, well, just sort of sit here and stare at the television. He's so boring. He's so dull. But anyway, he's, he's going to star in a Hollywood blockbuster. A Hollywood... What could it be? What could it be? It's a film about Jamie Vardy's rags to riches rise to the top. Who? Jamie Vardy. A Hollywood blockbuster. They're going into Hollywood. Uh, who, Jamie Vardy? Who's he? Who's this guy? And, and we're all going... Even down here, we're going, Jamie Vardy, Vinnie Jones. Vinnie Jones couldn't have his act his way out of a paper bag. And he's going to star in a Hollywood blockbuster. Apparently, the choice to cast him has got the blessing of the England ace, who originally uh, suggested the, uh, the lock stock star for the role. Really? How bizarre. I mean, it's really very old. Anyway, uh, so uh, Vardy's rags to riches rise to the top. The midfielder turned actor is wanted to play the Foxes striker, former boss Nigel Pearson in the movie. Who? No idea. No idea. But apparently he's officially the hottest fox in the box since Gary Lineker. God, I never How many years ago was that? Dear Lord above. 1984-85 was Gary Lineker. The Foxes legend. The Foxes legend. Uh, Lineker wants Fox's focus on the title rather than personal feats. Oh, God, I'm bored already. Don't you just see? Straight to video.
Don't you just see? Let's not bother with it at all, actually. And so they're going to put... I mean, who's going to go and buy that? Who's going to watch it? Vinnie Jones. He's 51. He passed his sell-by about 30 years ago. And he's only a fa- hard man because he grabs somebody's little spherical objects and that's that picture that's been around the world. That makes him a hard man, does it? God's truth. Roll on, ladies and gentlemen. Roll on. I wouldn't bother. Is that it? So Lineker took to Twitter... God, look at those, the days when Lineker actually had dark hair as opposed to that salt and pepper thing and probably had a girlfriend. Oh, no, probably a wife, I should imagine. Now he's got neither. have to smile, don't you, really? We knew it wasn't going to last. We knew it wasn't going to last. So uh, somebody says here, uh, John Dykes has tweeted, Jamie Vardy is the first LCFC player to score 20 goals. It's what? Leicester, Leicester City player to score 20 goals in a top flight season since at Gary Lineker. And so Gary Lineker, said, Gary Lineker then tweeted, that's not important at this moment, so I don't think I'll retweet it. Thank God for that, the most boring man in the world. Gary Lineker and his blasted crisp adverts. And that's about as good as it gets, isn't it? Have you seen the rest of the family? Oh, my goodness me, honestly. It is like if I see an elephant fly. All got those sort of ears, haven't they? It's the, it's the trademark. Those are all the highlights I've got time for for this morning. And don't forget, I'm here from five tomorrow morning and I'm here with your 4am spike all next week too.